Welcome to the Kotke Ride Home for Wednesday, December 2nd, 2020. I'm Jackson Bird. The Classic Tetris World Championship Final is this Saturday, streaming online. And if you were also surprised there is a classic Tetris World Championship, then have I got a documentary recommendation for you. Archaeologists have discovered tens of thousands of Ice Age paintings on a remote cliff in the Amazonian rainforest. And a Christmas song that has been designed especially for dogs. Here are some of the cool things from the news today. This Saturday, December 6th, is not just St. Nicholas Day and my mom's birthday, very important, but it is also the final round of the 2020 Classic Tetris World Championship, which will be streaming live on Twitch. Usually an in-person competition held in hotels and convention centers, the championship, like most events, had to pivot online this year. And yes, apparently there is such a thing as a classic Tetris World Championship. Tetris is, you know, the game with the different shapes, each made out of four colorful blocks that you have to fit into a complete line as they fall down from the top of the screen. It was developed in 1984 and hit the U.S. market on the original Nintendo Entertainment System in 1989, where it became a hugely popular game on the NES and later on the Game Boy. And even if you didn't play that version back then, you've probably played it online or on your phone. But apparently, these more modern versions are fairly different and quite a bit easier than what's called classic Tetris. And as such, and possibly in part because it is notoriously difficult, classic Tetris has developed quite the following over the last couple of decades. After the internet and social media helped avid Tetris players find each other and start swapping tips and competing a bit via informal leaderboards, it wasn't long before they decided to start an in-person competition, the Classic Tetris World Championship. Although doing so, figuring out how to turn it into a competitive sport was quite the challenge. The creation of the championship and the first year it ran in 2010 is covered in the documentary Ecstasy of Order, which you can watch online, link in the show notes. But now, almost a decade later, there is another documentary series coming out about the classic Tetris World Championships and the unlikely community surrounding it. Made by some of the same folks involved with the first film, although it's not a direct sequel, Best of Five, The Classic Tetris Champions, which coincidentally is set to be a five-episode series, will be released online in April to folks who back it on Kickstarter. And full disclosure here, the director of the film is a friend of the pod, Chris Higgins, the original host and writer of The Election Ride Home, but also a talented writer and filmmaker in his own right who shot most of this documentary series at the 2014 championships and has been finishing it up along with an all-star team all working remotely during lockdown. In the Kickstarter video introducing the docu-series, Chris explains that part of what makes classic Tetris so appealing and so bizarre is, quote, It's a single-player game that you lose every time. There's literally no way to win this game, end quote. What does he mean that it's unwinnable? Well, for one, the score counter stops at 999,999, but the game doesn't, really. 
and it speeds up as you go. So by the time you get to level 29, the bricks, or tetraminoes is maybe how it's pronounced, they fall so quickly that it's almost impossible to keep up. People have turned the solo game into a competition in part by challenging themselves to max out or get to 999,999 and by clearing as many lines as possible. The Best of Five docuseries asks big questions about what has made so many people spend thousands of hours becoming masters of this unwinnable game and how a community of people, quote, turned an unwinnable one-player Nintendo game into a multiplayer head-to-head experience with a winner, end quote. The series also follows in the suspense of the actual competition, including the heightened tension that the same player won the first four years of the tournament's existence, and so the big question in the fifth year featured in the docuseries is if anyone will be able to beat that player. And it's all pretty wild, because to play the real classic Tetris, you have to use an old NES console. So at the championships, you've literally got rows and rows of NES consoles plugged into thrifted CRT TVs with the original controllers and cartridges. As Chris points out, the gear is often older than the players using it. Stuff like this, where some sort of competition has taken on a completely different life than what it began with, fascinates me. You know, it's similar to the phenomenon I lightly touched on in the July 16th episode of this show about competitive hot dog eaters. Competitive eating contests started pretty modestly, with competitors only eating a handful of the item. Now, competitors train all year round and eat dozens of the item in one go. There's a sort of performance curve that happens in a lot of competitive fields where tips and hacks start being figured out and shared around, so the level of competition rises astronomically in some cases, and eventually it may level out again, at least for a bit, but the level of gameplay is still rising in the world of classic Tetris. If you do watch the first documentary, Ecstasy of Order, ahead of viewing the new docuseries or watching the finals this weekend, it will look, in some ways, like a whole other ball game. As author John Green pointed out in a 2018 YouTube video remarking on the growing popularity of competitive Tetris, in the early 90s, millions of people were trying to max out with a score of 999,999, but only one person was known to have done it, Thor Ackerlund. And a lot of people didn't believe he had actually done it, although he had. By 2018, multiple people maxed out at the championships, and the winner that year even became the first person to make it to level 30 in front of a live audience. So if you want to learn more about the strange and wonderful world of classic Tetris, I'll put links in the show notes to the old documentary, Ecstasy of Order, as well as the upcoming docuseries, Best of Five. And I gotta say, as someone who has spent years attending and working at nerdy niche conferences and who has missed going to them so much this year, even though I wasn't familiar with the classic Tetris World Championships before, watching the trailer reminded me of everything that I love about those kinds of communities. Those who have found like-minded people online and built something beautiful and tangible together. A place where they can gather and find joy with one another, no matter how goofy it may seem to anyone else. It's one of the net positives that has come out of the often terrible internet, and I am all about stories that showcase that. Archaeologists have discovered what some are calling the Sistine Chapel of the Ancients. 
Tens of thousands of drawings dating back as far as 12,500 years ago across eight miles of cliff faces in the Amazonian rainforest in Colombia. The discovery was actually made last year, but was kept secret so that it could be presented in an upcoming UK TV documentary series, Jungle Mystery, Lost Kingdoms of the Amazon. Quoting The Guardian, Their date is based partly on their depictions of now-extinct Ice Age animals, such as the Mastodon, a prehistoric relative of the elephant that hasn't roamed South America for at least 12,000 years. There are also images of the Paleolama, an extinct camelid, as well as giant sloths and Ice Age horses. These animals were all seen and painted by some of the very first humans ever to reach the Amazon. Their pictures give a glimpse into a lost, ancient civilization. Such is the sheer scale of the paintings that they will take generations to study." End quote. And the drawings are incredibly well done, too. Leader of the research team Jose Iriarte, professor of archaeology at Exeter University, said that there were no doubts about the animals that you were looking at, and that you could even see details like the hairs on the horses. There are plenty of drawings of all manner of animals, as well as scenes of humans dancing and holding hands, some geometric shapes, and some handprints. A lot of the drawings are also so high up on the cliffs that they can currently only be accessed by drones, which leads to the question of how they were painted there originally. Iriarte says the answer is probably in the drawings themselves, which depict wooden towers and people jumping from them on bungee-like cables. A lot can be gleaned from the paintings about the worship of animals or even plants. Ella Alshamahi, an archaeologist and presenter of the documentary, said, quote, One of the most fascinating things was seeing Ice Age megafauna, because that's a marker of time. I don't think people realize that the Amazon has shifted in the way it looks. It hasn't always been this rainforest. When you look at a horse or mastodon in these paintings, of course they weren't going to live in a forest. They're too big. Not only are they giving clues about when they were painted by some of the earliest people, that in itself is just mind-boggling, but they're also giving clues about what this very spot might have looked like, more savanna-like, end quote. The site itself is incredibly remote. The team drove two hours from the nearest town and then walked four more hours on foot. The site is so new it doesn't even have a name yet. But the team believes there is much more to be discovered and is planning to return as soon as pandemic restrictions allow. A brand new Christmas song was released last month, and it's for good boys only. Dogs, that is. It's allegedly the first ever Christmas song designed especially for dogs to enjoy. Created by dog food delivery service Tails.com, the song Raise the Wolf was created based on scientific research about how dogs react to various sounds. The project additionally received input from dog behaviorists and a focus group of over two dozen dogs who were played 500 sounds and then had their responses to those sounds analyzed. The final product has a soft reggae beat with lots of high-frequency sounds like bells and squeaks, as well as different voices giving instructions or praise to the dogs listening. The reggae is in keeping with findings from a 2017 study by the Scottish SPCA charity that found animals like reggae and soft rock the best of all music genres. Although in contrast, a 2002 study of shelter dogs found that they were most relaxed when listening to classical music. Cats, meanwhile, most enjoyed heavy metal and evanescence. Okay, that last bit was a joke, but here is the reggae-esque track for dogs. 
Not super Christmassy, if you ask me, but dogs seem to like it, and I suppose that's the point. A lot of people have been posting videos of their dogs' reactions to the song online, and I mean, I'm no dog behaviorist, but I would say that they look slightly distressed more so than happy, although I guess they're certainly engaging with it. Tails.com said in a press release that you can tell your dog is enjoying it if they're, quote, trying to discover where the sounds are coming from, head cocking, or moving their ears to get a better listen, as well as tails wagging, end quote. And the whole thing is for a good cause. While you can listen to the track for free on Tails.com's website, they also pressed 500 special edition vinyl copies of the track, and 100% of the proceeds of those will be going to the mental health organization Dudes and Dogs, which encourages men to go out for walks with their dogs and talk to one another about how they're feeling. The vinyl records are also cool because this track was actually recorded at Abbey Road's studios. You know, the Abbey Road. So yeah, pretty cool project all around, and there you go, the first Christmas song just for dogs. Maybe next year, someone will make one for cats, although I'm not sure that cats would really care at all. So yesterday I mentioned the book I'm currently reading, The Santa Claus Man by Alex Palmer, about the rise and fall of John Gluck Jr.'s Santa Claus Association in 1910's New York City. Well, many of you probably know, but the U.S. Postal Service still runs a similar project each year called Operation Santa, in which the post office collects letters addressed to Santa and invites folks to help fulfill the wishes of kids who wrote the letters. And I wanted to let you know, first, in case you are in the U.S. and want to participate, but also because there is a documentary about the project premiering on Friday called Dear Santa. It's produced by IFC Films and directed by Dana Nachman. It looks like a more heartwarming holiday documentary than anything super hard-hitting, but hey, sometimes that's what you need this season, so I'll put a link in the show notes if you want to check it out. But that is it for today. I am going to go try to beat my personal best on Tetris 725. I hope you have a good rest of your day, and I'll talk to you again tomorrow. <laughs>